Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Very good. Let's pray together. Y'all ready to go? All right, let's jump in. Oh, by the way, uh, my name's Mike, and uh, (laughs) if you're new here, and I'm the lead pastor here, and inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching, and so I just want to make sure that if you're new, you're you're comfortable, you're ready to go, you're oriented. All right, so let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church, the way you're waking us up, uh, calling us on, God teaching us what does it look like to be a passionate Christ follower, to run into the freedom that you died to give us. And, and so we're excited about that today because we know it's the next step of our journey. And God, this series, you're just week by week, you're just unfolding to us what does it look like to listen and to be transformed by your spirit. And so we're thankful for that. We pray that today will be the next step in that journey. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today. It's a story of two friends, and uh, they've, they've been fit friends for, what, 15, 20 years, very close. They've gone through adventures, risk, danger, and God has just woven their lives together. They're very close, and yet um, it wasn't always that way. In fact, if you were to go back 15, 20 years in time, they were actually on the opposite sides of the aisle, opposite sides of the fence. What, one was a, a passionate Christ follower. The other hated all Christ followers. And so they obviously didn't get along, and then, and then God does what God does, and, and he changed the, the life of the second man, and, and he became a Christ follower. And, and so now God begins to weave their paths together, and they're, and they're both leaders, and they have gifts of leadership, and so they're both in the movement of Jesus, and God begins to use them uh, in leadership in different, even different parts of the country or whatever, but, but over time, their, their paths intersect, and they become very close friends and then God begins to call them to, to minister together and lead together. And over the next 15, 20 years, they're going to lead hundreds and thousands of people to Christ, going to raise up uh, passionate Christ followers, just a very close friendship, and, and then it happens. Well, today we're uh, continuing our series that we've been in for the last uh, forever. And uh, it, it's a study, it's, it's called Freedom. And for those who are brand new, I just want to take a minute or two and bring you up to speed. Uh, this is a study of a letter from a man named the Apostle Paul to some churches that he and his ministry partner, a man named Barnabas, had started just shortly before in the Roman province of Galatia, which is why we call it the letter to the Galatians. And, and, the, and the Galatia was in like modern day Turkey, so you can get oriented. And so, so this letter is all about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does that mean? And then the big, the big idea of the letter is the idea of freedom, that Christ has come to set us free, to move in the future God has. It's why he came and died so we could become the people we were created to be and experience the freedom we're designed to have. And so if you've been here the last few weeks, we've actually moved into phase two of this series, which focuses on on the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And what we've been learning is that the key to our freedom in our life is learning to increasingly follow the the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit in in our life. And so to help us understand what this looks like, when Paul gets to chapter 5 of Galatians, what he does is he, he gives a couple long lists. Like, here's what it looks like when you're following the leadership of the Spirit in your life, and here's what it looks like when you're not, when you're following the, kind of the, the fallen human nature that's dysfunctional and leads to destruction in our lives. And so we've been in that list the last couple of weeks, and so today we're going to continue that. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 5 of Galatians, and uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 13. With Galatians 5 and verse 13, uh, Paul lays out the, the theme of the letter. He says in verse uh, 13, you, my brothers, you are called to be free. And so this, this is the topic of the whole letter of Galatians is freedom. It's that, that, that Christ has come through his life, his death, and resurrection. He's come to set us free. He, he sets us free from, from our past. He sets us free from 
uh, the judgment that was over our life, for our rebellion against God. He took that on the cross. He sets us free from old school religion rules, rituals. He sets us free to enter into this new relationship with God. We're sons and daughters, a true relationship. He's come to set us free from the dark side of, of human nature. He's come to set us free to run into our future. That's the theme, all right? So, so you, my brothers, were called to be free. Um, verse 16, and so here's the key to our freedom. So I say, live by the Spirit. Now remember, in the Greek, we've talked about this last couple of weeks. In the Greek, it literally means to uh, walk by the Spirit. This is the word. In other words, follow the leading of the Spirit. And then you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, the, what we've called the dark side, this fallen side of human nature that, that kind of with this magnetic pull towards that which destroys us. And then in verse 19, the Apostle Paul begins to give us this, this list we've been going over, the acts of the sinful nature, the dark side, they're obvious, and he starts with three, uh, kind of three areas, like we've called it sexual, destructive sexuality, so we spent a week on that, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Then the second, this last week, we focused on the next two items in the list, which deal with a fallen spirituality. So we talked about idolatry and witchcraft. And now he moves into the third major section of this list, which really deals with what you might call dysfunctional relationships. And what we're going to see is there's a natural pull on the dark side of our human nature towards dysfunction in relationship. And so he gives us eight examples. And so we'll just run through them. He says hatred, and we, we've all experienced that. Uh, discord, in other words, just not getting along, conflict. Uh, jealousy, uh, anyone ever experienced that? Okay, okay, we'll talk about lying later on. Um, <laughs> Uh, fits of rage, uh, just anger. We're just angry, right? Uh, selfish ambition, kind of putting ourselves number one, looking out for number one, self-absorbed lifestyle, selfish lifestyle. Uh, dissensions and factions. So again, a couple other areas of conflicts, you know, splits, cliques, uh, a breakdown of relationship, and then envy, okay? So much like jealousy. So he, so he gives us eight examples. Now, of course, these aren't the only eight examples he could have given. He could have talked about bitterness. He could have talked about a bunch of different things, but he just chooses eight examples to give us a feel that this is the dark side, that we, as human beings, we, we, we're born with this. We have this natural pull towards the dark side. This is the sort of thing that the way it shows up, okay? Now, here's what we want to do in our time together today. We want to unpack this, and, and there's kind of three major principles that I think are really important for us to understand on the dark side and how it leads to dysfunctional relations and, and why Jesus has come and, the, and the, follow, the, the Spirit has come to lead us into freedom in the realm of our relationships, okay? Whether that relationships would be uh, marriage, parenting, friendships, dating, uh, workplace, whatever it is. So that's the topic of the day. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the journey of relationships. We're going to move from dysfunction to health and kind of three big picture principles uh, I want to throw out there and get really practical then as we hone in at the end. So let's jump in. Number one, the first principle that Paul wants us to understand is, is that as fallen human beings, that, that we're all drawn towards dysfunction, okay? And I'm talking about relational dysfunction, that, that as fallen human beings, every one of this room, we have a natural magnetic pull towards dysfunction in the realm of relationships. Now, now I get this. Probably most of us here, some of you here have not yet made the decision to follow Christ. I get that. Um, this will be true for you too, but, but, but most of us here are Christ followers. And so by definition, uh, the Holy Spirit has come into our life, hasn't he? And he's begun to change us from the inside out. And he's put a new love for God and a new love for people. And so I get that. And, and yet what Paul wants us to understand is that 
as members of the human race, we all still have to deal with this natural draw, this magnetic pull to the dark side in terms of the way we deal with relationships. And so what he wants us to understand is, is this is why the human race is why it is. And so he gives us these eight examples, you know, hatred, jealousy, outbursts of anger, uh, dissensions, factions, envy, selfish ambition, right? He could throw in other things. He could have thrown in other things, but he gives us eight examples. And what Paul is saying is that's why the human race is like it is, right? This is why marriages break up. This is why kids don't get along with their parents. This is why you don't want to go to Thanksgiving this year as your family. <laughs> this is why, uh, you, you know, this is why nations go to war. This is why genocide is part of the human race. This is why injustice always reigns. You know, it's like there, there are pockets of justice, but you look at the human race, the history of the human race, it's a mess, right? And Paul says there's something wrong. And what he wants us to understand is this is the reason the world is so messed up relationally is because there's something within us, our human nature, that has a magnetic pull towards the dark side, right? And so as you look at the Bible, what we see is that the story of the Bible, the story of our spiritual story as a race, is a story of dysfunction. And it goes back to the very beginning of time. And so stop and think with me. If you go back to the book of Genesis, the start of the human race, uh, things start off well. God, God creates the uh, man, he's perfect man, perfect woman, right? And, and, and they love one another, they get along. There's no nagging in their family, right? There, there, there's no uh, blaming in their family. Uh, there, there, there's no conflict in, in their marriage. They, they love one another, they're looking out for one another. In fact, in Hebrew, the word we use to describe this is the word shalom, right? And so what does shalom mean? Shalom means good. Three people knew that. Um, peace, yeah, shalom means peace. Welcome to the human race. Shalom, Jewish, peace, all right? Now, uh, but, but shalom means much more than just the absence of conflict, okay? Shalom has to do with the uh, relational harmony, right? So the whole universe was created in shalom. The universe, the environment, our relationships with one another, it's all, we're all like uh, in relational harmony. It's a perfect balance, right? And so that's how the story starts off. But then in chapter 3 of Genesis, when, when the, the man and the woman, they rebel against their creator, they choose to rebel, that what you see is instantly, not only is their relationship with the creator damaged, the catch is the relationship with one another was damaged. So it's not just the vertical relationship with God that was destroyed. It was their horizontal relationship, and it happened instantly. And I want you to think back to this. Remember what happens as they eat the fruit of disobedience. God comes to them. He starts with Adam as a spiritual leader of the family. He starts with Adam and says, what did you do, and why did you do it? And do you remember what Adam does? Exactly. He throws his wife under the bus. It's been happening ever since. <laughs> I know, I'm a husband. Uh, see those tire tracks on my wife? That's it. Uh, so, so this is, you remember exactly, I said, Adam, what did you do? And he's like, oh, it wasn't me. It was, uh, it was her. Uh, in fact, you know, it's a woman that you gave me. It's really like your fault. Uh, right? Right? This is the story of the human race, isn't it? It's like this is what we, we do. Now, now catch this. So he's created 
Adam was created to love her, to protect her, to care for her, to treasure her, and to cherish her, right? That's, that's how it starts. The story starts off. But then the moment we rebel, something breaks in the human heart. The moment we cut ourselves off from the source of all that's good and right and true, something bre- and, and the human race has been bent ever since, right? And so, and so some of you women are feeling pretty good right now, but you shouldn't be because... <laughs> Because what happens next is God speaks to the woman. She tries to blame the snake, right? Like she's not taking responsibility. Like no one's taking responsibility for this. We, are, we have stepped into the blame game, right? And we still play it. We still play in our marriages today, right? right? In fact, you don't even have to be married. Just start dating. You'll, you'll be doing it. Okay, so, so this is the way it works. So, so now, so what, what I'm saying is that from the very beginning, something breaks. Now, now the first 11 chapters of Genesis one of the reasons they're there is to show us what happened as a result of the rebellion of the human race, how it led to a breakdown in all human relationships. And so if you follow this through, chapter 3, breakdown between Adam and Eve. Chapter 4, they have the two sons, Cain and Abel. They grow up. There's major sibling rivalry. There's envy. There's jealousy, just like Paul says in Galatians 5. And as a result of the envy and jealousy, uh, Cain decides to take out his brother. Right? So he kills his brother. Now he feels badly about it. So that's a good first step. But he kills his brother. Now later in chapter 4, we fast forward seven generations. There's a dude named Lamech who comes along. Lamech comes along and he's got two wives now. It's like, well, where did this come from? Right? It was supposed to be one woman, one man forever. And now it's like double coupon day or something. And like, he, he's like, well, I'll take two of those. You know? and, and so what, what do you have now? You have the breakdown between the sexes, right? And ever since then, the history of the human race has been an oppression of women. The, the history of the human race has been an oppression, abuse of women. It, it's gone on from the beginning of time. And it's going on today. Have you, have you ever read what goes on the Taliban? Over, it's just it's horrible. And, and, but this is not like unique. It's like, so, so he decides he wants two of those. Right? And, so, and so now we see that breakdown there. And so now he comes home one day in chapter 4, and, and he says, come, he walks to the door, honeys, I'm home. And so he, they walk in, and, and they come out, and he's bragging because that day a young man had attacked him, and he says, I took him out. I killed him. And he's like, he's proud of this. So we've moved now from Cain killing his brother and at least feeling bad to Lamech uh, killing a young man and being proud of it. By the time you get to Genesis 6, we're told the earth is so full of violence, it's so pervasive, that it's just, it's just a, the, uh, the Bible says it's full of violence. It reminds me of the movie, have you ever seen Escape from New York City? Not a very good movie, but, you know, it's just really violent, just really hor- horrendous. You remember that, what was, it, was it, Kurt Russell? Or, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, and so it's just it's horrendous violence across the earth, and God says it's so bad, it's beyond redemption. In other words, it's so pervasive, you cannot turn this thing around. And so God takes extreme action. I mean, he cuts out the cancer. He unleashes the flood on on planet Earth uh, uh, because the only way to rescue this project was to start over. And so you get Noah and his three sons. They come out of the ark. And what happens right away? They have a major falling out, and Noah curses his son Ham. And so what what you see, as you see the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the story that God's telling us is that something broke when we rebelled against God. It's not just our relationship with God, it's our relationship with one another, and it's why the world is why it is. It's why the divorce rate in our country is why it is. It's why uh, kids and parents, the problems that we have. 
It's why there's crime in our streets. It's why our prisons are overflowing. It's why there's international conflict. It's why at your workplace, more chances than not, kind of politics is the norm, right? It's why, uh, it's why political parties can't get along. It's why the government's always screwed up, and it doesn't matter who's in charge. It's why nations, uh, or the conflict goes on internationally. It's why genocide has ruled. The human race is screwed up, right? And it doesn't matter what time or what era or what race. It's like you go, you will find what Paul says here in Galatians chapter 5. You will find these elements. You will find hatred. You will find jealousy. You will find envy. You will find selfish ambition. You will find dissensions and factions and discord. This is what, you will find outbursts of anger. This is the human race, all right? And so Paul says, welcome to the human race, This is where we start today, that I don't care if you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is part of your life. This is part of your DNA. Until Jesus comes back, we're not losing that, all right? And so that's where we start. There's something desperately wrong. We all have this magnetic pull, and that'll become very important later on in the talk today as we talk about, so what does that mean for our lives? Now, number two, let's go on number two. Uh, The second principle is, that the Spirit's goal, like when, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and Jesus he came and died so we could receive the Spirit, when the Spirit comes into your life, that his goal is to restore relationships and teach you how to do relationships a whole new way. This is one of his top priorities, okay? So the Spirit's goal is to restore relationships. Now, if you stop and think about this, this makes a lot of sense. I want you to think with me. Back in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was once asked by an attorney, he said, of all the laws in the Mosaic law, in the law of Moses, there were 613 laws. He says, of all the laws in the Mosaic law, which law is the very most important? Like of all the 613, if you, if you laid them out, kind of, you know, top to, most important to least important, like what would be the number one on God's hit list? What's the most important thing that we do? What's the most important thing that we don't do and violate? And, and Jesus didn't even have to think about it. He said, oh, that's easy. Here's the, com- here's the command. Uh, I, the, the command is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We talked about this last week. It's, it's not idolatry, right? It's the opposite. It, it's saying that God is, the way I like to put it, is that, that you're my first love, you're my deepest passion. You're my highest priority. So know, love, and please you, okay? So Jesus, that's where it starts. That's what got broken at the fall, that vertical relationship, right? He says, but the second thing we need to fix, the second priority is the horizontal. And he said, you didn't ask, but let me tell you, that God's number two on his list is we learn to love our neighbor as ourself. So, so you understand this? Jesus came to resolve the two most important problems of the human race, a broken relationship with God vertically, a broken relationship with one another horizontally. Are you with me this? Now, here's what I'm suggesting. As Christ followers, we often miss this priority list. Now, what happens, we come to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes in our life, and he begins to change us, and there's certain things that begin to happen right away. There are certain parts of the old life that are obviously evil and wrong that begin to drop off right away, right? And you, you know what they are, and the kind of certain things that they fall off. And there's other things that right away we begin to do, new spiritual disciplines, new habits we build into our life. Like we start coming to church regularly, we start reading our Bible, we start praying, we start serving, we start giving, all good things, all important things, okay? But somehow in the process, we often miss God's priority, 
that we miss that above all these things we're doing, there's a greater principle. And that the reason Christ came is to restore our relationship with God and restore our relationships with one another. So what that means is the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, one of his very top priorities is to teach us how to do relationships a whole new way. Now, this is what we miss because if you've been around church or Christianity for any length of time, you know how often we miss the mark in this. That, that often you can have churches that are filled with people that would see themselves as good, solid Christians, and yet there's major conflict going on. There's major slander. There's gossip. There's broken relationships. There's lack of forgiveness. And so somehow we've missed this message. And yet at the same time, we're kind of, we're, we're, you know, we're going to church, we're in a life group, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're giving, we're serving, whatever. And so we think of ourselves as, as mature Christ followers, but the reality is we're missing what it means to be a Christ follower. Are you with me in this? Is that we're just kind of missing the main point of everything. And so the, the crazy thing is, is, is that sometimes we, we can just be incredibly immature and yet think we're extremely mature. Now, let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, like, what, what happened in our lives is that, uh, you know, we're going through the, the, the motions. We're doing a lot of the right stuff, like I talked about. But in the realm of our relationships, we're doing them the same way as before we came to Jesus. Like, like let me give you an example. Uh, 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 lying. Um, that, that for some of us, we grew up in home. Maybe, maybe your mom or dad was an alcoholic, and lying was a way of life in your, your family. That's how you, you lied to survive. And, and your mom lied to survive. She lied. And so you, you grew up that, that lies are a way of life. No one really tells the truth all the time. You just kind of, you, you, you pick and choose. But you, you, you know, lying's a way of life. And so you come to Christ. You've given your life to Christ. But you still, in your relationships, you, you lie routinely. You, in fact, you don't hardly even think about it. It's a big deal. It's just like, well, everyone kind of probably does that, right? right? And so, so we just kind of, we do relationships the same old way. But, but you, you know, but you ever stop? The most important ingredient in a relationship is trust. And if you lie in relationships, you are undercutting the most important ingredient in a relationship. And so, so we're coming to church, we're in a life group, we're serving, we're giving, we're doing this stuff, we're not sleeping around, any big things, whatever. And so, so we think of ourselves as mature, and yet we're lying as a way of life. It's kind of what it's called when we do relationships. Uh, let me give you another one, a really big one, conflict. Uh, this is, is a huge one, is that, is that we come to Christ, but we still do conflict the same way. And so, so, so it may be that we ignore it. It, it may we, we withdraw from it. Some of you, probably the way you deal with conflict is that when there's conflict, you just withdraw from that relationship. You just end that relationship. Like I was friends with them, but it just didn't work out. And so now I'm finding a new friend, you know. I went to the life group, and they didn't like my dessert, you know. i got to go to a new life group. It's time to move. You know, it's like, I'm just not hitting it off. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it here. Uh, and, so, and so that's how we do it. You know, for, for some of us, uh, the way that we deal with conflict is just like before we came to Jesus. We, we respond by attack. We do attack. It might be slander. It might be, um, it, it could be uh, uh, a verbal attack. It could be uh, attacks on Facebook. It could be, you know, whatever the thing is. It could be, um, it could be physical attack. It could be, uh, you know, violence. It could be undercutting. But we're, hey, they hurt me. I'm going to hurt them, you know. And, and the weird thing is about this uh, we have outbursts of anger. Here, here's one, that we have anger issues in our life. And what we'll do is we'll, in, instead of recognizing, oh, that's the dark side, what we'll do is, is we, we'll do what Adam did. We blame it on those around us. Like we, we fly off the handle, we blow up at, at our wife or our kids or something. And, and then, and then our, our response to that is like, well, if you weren't so messed up and if you stopped doing what I asked you not to do, then I wouldn't have to get so angry, right? So it's not my fault, it's your fault. 
right? And so, and so you see what's happening? It's that, but at the same time, we're going to church, we're, we're, we're reading our Bible, uh, we're, we're praying, we're, we're giving, we're serving, whatever. And so we think of ourselves as mature believers, but our relationships are all screwed up. And, and, and somehow we think that we're on track. And, and so what Paul is saying is, no, look, time out here, this is the dark side. And, and if you want to move in the freedom God has for you, then you're going to have to learn to do relationships a whole new, new way. Let me give you an example from the New Testament. The church of Corinth, this was totally their story. Uh, they, they come to Christ, uh, radical conversion out of a pagan wild child background. So they, they come to Christ, uh, God does some amazing things in their midst. And one of the things he does is he gives them some very impressive supernatural gifts of his Holy Spirit. And so, like, they have the ability to speak in unknown languages and then be interpreted and have bring a message to a congregation. They have the ability to speak prophetically. They would have words of knowledge where, where God would, would speak and tell them something. There's no way they could have known. They deliver it to someone else in a way that builds up the body or whatever. It's just very impressive. Uh, a healing, lay hands on people. People would be miraculously healed. So, so, the, so God's pouring out his spirit in some, some amazing ways in terms of these gifts. And so, as a result of it, they think of themselves as very spiritual, very tight with God. We're led by the Spirit, we're a very sophisticated, wise, smart, mature church. Then Paul comes in and says, are you kidding me? You're, you're not spiritually mature. You're like spiritual babies. Man, I, it's like you're running around in diapers, and I can smell it from here. It's like you are stinking up the place, you know? And, and so you're thinking you're mature, but you're like you've got these diapers that are full of you know what, and you're, you're, wherever you go, you're smelling up the place. And, and so so, for example, he walks them through in the book of the letter of Corinthians, chapters 1 through 4. Chapters 1 through 4, they are having major conflict in their church, splitting into different groups and divisions over their favorite teachers. Okay? Like, who's their favorite teacher? Who's the best teacher? Who's the most spiritual teacher? That's him. I'm on his team. And so you guys over there, you're not really getting it. Right? Now, now not like we do that today. You know? It's like, well, I'm a John MacArthur, you know. Oh, well, I'm a Francis Chan. Have you read his latest book? Oh, I'm a Mark Driscoll. Let's, well, I'm of the emergent, you know, whatever. And so it's this kind of thing, right? And so, and so we think we're being spiritual. It's like we're not being spiritual. We're being dark side, right? Uh, chapter 5, there's sexual immorality going on. They're not dealing with it. Chapter 6, they're ripping each other off financially and then taking each other to court, Chapter 7, there's conflict over marriage. Chapter 8 through 10, they're having conflict over gray area, kind of secondary issues. In their case, it was like eating meat sacrificed to idols. Chapter 11, they're fighting over communion. The rich are coming early for dinner and getting drunk. The, the, the poor are coming and starving. Chapter 12 through 14, they're fighting over which spiritual gift is the best spiritual gift, who is the most spiritual. Chapter 15, they're arguing over the resurrection. Do you think it happened? I'm not so sure. And so here you've got this whole letter this church, they see themselves as extremely spiritual because they have these spiritual gifts that are being outpoured. And Paul says, are you kidding me? You're missing the obvious, the relationship of love in your body. See? So there in your note sheet, you have an example of this in, in chapter 3 where the Paul uh, says, puts it this way. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. In other words, I could not, I could not address you as led by the Holy Spirit. That's the thought. Okay? Um, but, but as worldly. Now, in the Greek, 
The word, word for worldly is the word flesh. It's the same word in Galatians 5 that Paul translates sinful nature. So what Paul is saying is, I know you see yourself as spiritual, led by the Spirit, but the reality is you're living on the dark side. You're following the dark side, okay? And he says, you're, you're infants in Christ. You know, you get the diapers on, smell them from here. Okay, for since there is jealousy and quarreling, catch that. Two of the words, in the Greek, those are the two of the eight words in Galatians 5 we just looked at, jealousy and quarreling. Okay, two of the, two of the same words. He says there's jealousy, there's quarreling. You think you're mature, you think you're being led by the Spirit. The reality is you're not. You're, you're following the dark side. And he said, are you... Uh, uh, since there's jealousy and quarreling, are you not worldly? Again, it's literally fleshly. And are you not acting like mere men? Okay? So he says, you're acting like just regular people. You're acting like you're not even Christ followers. You're acting like you don't even have the Holy Spirit. You're just acting like, like people have not even come to Christ. You know? So you think of yourself, so you catch this. It's possible for us to think we're spiritually mature if we measure ourselves with the wrong ruler. Are you in this? It's possible, let me say it again, it's possible to think of yourself as spiritually mature and following the leadership of the Spirit and be exactly the opposite if you use the wrong yardstick to measure yourself. All right, now here's the good news. So Paul is saying is, but here's what I want you to catch. We all have a dark side. The good news is the Spirit has come to teach you how to restore your relationships. This is why he comes. This is his priority in your life. When the Holy Spirit came in your life, this is his, his priority. And if you'll follow his leading, he'll teach you how to do this, how to, how to restore your relationships, how to do relationships the right way. And then on top of that, this is amazing, but the, uh, much of the New Testament is written to teach us how to do relationships the right way. And a lot of believers don't realize that, but I'll tell you what, I'll, put you, I'll have you challenge you. you. You take the letters of the New Testament, put on the relational glasses. When, when you're doing your Bible study, you put on relational glasses, say, what does this passage teach me about how to do relationships a new way? And you'll find the New Testament comes alive to you. It is page after page after page of here's what it looks like to do relationships the Jesus way. And this is so important for us as a church. You know, we're in the process of creating these eight to ten courses that we believe are absolutely essential. They address areas of the Christian life, walking with Jesus, that are absolutely essential. Like if you don't know this stuff, you cannot well, well, work well, walk well with Jesus. You don't have to learn it here, but you've got to learn it somewhere. And, and, and so we're in the process. We've created five of those now. We'll be creating six and seven probably later this year as we go uh, in, in the winter and the, the spring. But the second, the, the second essential that we created was called loving, uh, loving people doing relationships a whole new way. And the whole point of that course is to unpack the New Testament. What does it look like to follow Jesus and learn to love one another, which is his top priority for us as, as Christ's followers, all right? So as a church, we want to embrace that, all right? Now, so, that, so that's the second principle. Now, the third principle goes like this. That, that pursuing right relationships is not always easy. So, so in other words, that, that as you're sitting here today, I, I don't know how you're responding to this message. I know how I'd be responding. 
I'd be responding, okay, let me get this. I got a dark side, and that leads to dysfunction, and that's why the human race is the way it is, and that's why relationships are messed up. That's why my relationships can mess up sometimes. And so, wow, that's bad news. And so then, then I hear the next thing, that, that, wow, the Holy Spirit's come, and he's come into our life to start changing us from the inside out, to transform us, and then if I listen to his, his leadership, he'll teach me how to restore relationships. Do it all. I'd be like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Okay, good. I'm ready to go. So where I would be, I don't know where you are, but where I would be, I'd be excited at this point. Okay, like, bring it on. Like, I want to know how to follow the Spirit. And, and I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to learn, okay? So here comes the third principle that you need to understand, that this is not going to be an easy journey, okay? That, that yes, the Spirit's come. Yes, He will lead you, but it's not going to be easy. And I want to tell you three reasons why it's not going to be easy, okay? Number one, the first reason it's not easy is because, like we learned earlier, we all have a dark side, okay? So you have within you a magnetic pull towards the dark side. That you, you, there's going to be times in your life you, you're going to be drawn towards hatred. You're going to feel it. There, there's times in your life you, you're going to be drawn towards a jealousy, towards anger, right? We'll talk more about that later. But you have this dark side, and it's pulling you, and it happens every day, right? And it's just like this laser beam pulled. They come this way to the dark side, right? So, so, you're, so you feel like, all right. So, so, so that's number one. The second reason why it's hard is because we have relational habits that are deeply ingrained in our life. Well, you know, it's like, for some of you, some of you are 20 years old. Uh, you've got 15 years, at least, of relational habits. You know, you're 30 years old, you've got 25 years of relational habits. You're 80 years old, you've got 75 years of relational habits, right? And so we, we have certain ways. And so, like, I could, I could predict for you, like, like I would say, I could predict in your life how you respond to conflict. Right? All I got to know is how you respond in the past. It's a great predictor. That's how you're going to respond in the future. Why? Because it's a habit. Like, like when people attack you, I can pretty much tell you how you're going to respond. It's the way you've always responded. Right? Uh, it's, it's how you deal with anger, how you deal with uh, uh, forgiveness issues. I mean, this is pretty predictable stuff. Like we have long track records of this. And so when, when the Holy Spirit comes to say, hey, the way you're doing relationships is wrong, let me teach you. It's like, you know, it's like 60, 80 miles an hour, you know, for the last 20, 30, 50, 80 years, we've been going a certain direction. And to turn that car around, and it's not easy in case we have habits. A third reason it's hard is because of a lack of models. Man, models are a powerful thing. You watch someone going through a conflict, for example, and you've never done conflict well. You watch someone close to you go through a conflict in the, in the powerful, and it's like, it's eye-opening. It's like, Wow. I've never seen that. I've never seen that. And models are a powerful thing. You know, you just go and hang out with a family that's fairly healthy. If you've grown up in a dysfunctional home and you have the privilege of living for a couple of weeks in a family that's pretty healthy, your eyes are going to be open. You're like, I, I, never, I never knew it could be like this. I didn't know that. I, it's just like it's mind-boggling to you, right? And so a lack of models makes this hard. And even in the Christian community, so many times we have a lack of models, of how to do this uh, the right way. And so it's hard. And, and Paul talks about this, how hard this is, uh, in, five, in Galatians 5.17. So I want you to open up there. This is our, our current passage today, Galatians 5.17. We looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, but I want, to, uh, I want you to look at it again. This is really important for where we're going today. 5.17, of course, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming in our life and so on. 5.17 says, For the sinful nature, kind of the dark side, it desires what is contrary to the Spirit. 
Okay? So, so you're, a whole, you're a Christian. You've received the Holy Spirit. You have a pull towards the light. You, you have a desire to do relationships. Here's the one thing I know about you. If you're a Christ follower, you want to do relationships the right way. I know that about you. You may not do them the right way, but, but deep inside of you, God's put a love for, him, for other people. And you, you don't want it to be messed up. You want to learn how to do this. And so you've got the Holy Spirit, but Paul says, but you sell the dark side. And he says, the sinful nature, it desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature, and they're in conflict with each other, and so you do not do what you want. And so this is hard stuff. It's not, it's not like if you're going to learn to do relationships a new way, you have got to be determined. You've got to have courage. Uh, you're going to have to learn to die to your old self. This is not easy, but it's a path to freedom. And to give you a feel for this, I want to look real quickly at a couple passages where Paul talks about how hard this is. So turn to the right in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. It's just a few pages over. Ephesians chapter 4 to the right. And we'll look at verse 1. Okay, so Paul says he's in prison at the time when he's writing this. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And so you're Christians now. You've received the Holy Spirit. You're called to live a life of love. Live up to that calling. That's the idea. So be completely humble and be gentle and be patient. And then underline the next phrase, bearing with one another in love. You underline that. Bearing with. Well, That's a very important statement. Let me ask you something. Who do you have to bear with in your life? <laughs> your boss. <laughs> okay, I'm not asking you actually for examples. But <laughs> like, my wife, she's right. That's not what I'm looking for. All right. All right. Rhetorical question. <laughs> Who do you have to bear with? You know, do you have to bear with amazing people? Like, this person's amazing. Can you go bear with them? Just for a day. I know they're amazing. They're delightful. They are, they're fun. They are so engaging. They're unbelievable. Would you go bear with them for the day? Like, what? Like, you don't bear with people that are cool, right? You bear with people who are irritating. You, you bear with people who are frustrating. You bear with people who disappoint you. You bear with people who hurt you. Are you with me in this? So here's what I want you to catch. Paul's writing to the body of Christ, the church of Ephesus, and he says, I want you to bear with one another in love. You know what he's saying? I want you to catch this. Paul is assuming that there are people in your life who are going to be irritating, frustrating, disappointing, and hurtful. Are you with me in this? He's assuming this. And he says, and when that happens, you're going to have to bear with them. And look what he says next. Four, three. He says, so make every effort. Did you catch that? Let's say those three words together. Can we say them together? Make every effort. Let's try it again. Make every effort. One more time. Make every effort. Does that sound hard to you? Yeah, it sounds hard, doesn't it? Like you didn't say, like, hey, give a sh- take, give, take a shot, you know? This person's in your life group, they're irritating. Give it a shot. It's like, no, make every effort. It sounds hard, doesn't it? 
Make every effort to what? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We've all received the Spirit. We're going to have to make every effort to keep it. Turn to the left in your Bible, a couple books to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14 and verse 19. 14, 19. People with iPads are already there. Uh, just saying. Droids. Droids are there. Uh, 1419. See, I'm always trying to predict how many page flips it's going to take. And like this one, both services thrown me off. It's Romans, you know? We spent, what, two years there? It's like, and it's only a few pages away to your left. It's like, this will go fast, but it's not. You threw me. All right, here we go. Romans 14, verse 19. Here we go. Let us there, this is a passage about conflict, by the way. It's a passage about conflict in the church. And so he says, verse 19, he says, let us therefore, what are the next three words? Make every effort. Let's say it again. Make every effort. One more time. Make every effort. Does that sound hard? Yes. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do whatever it takes. Right? Make every effort. What's Paul telling us? He's telling us it's hard to learn how to do relationships a new way, right? It's hard. Like, like if your way of handling anger is to blow up at your family and then blame it on them, it's hard. It's hard to, to have the humility and the courage to go back and to start owning that and saying, that's not right, that's from the dark side, and I'm, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I'm going to try to learn how to handle this a better way. That's hard, isn't it? Um, if your first response to conflict is, is to run, it's going to be very hard to move towards the person who's offended you and try to get that result. That's going to be hard, isn't it? Um, if, if, you're, if you've lived a life of narcissism and it just comes natural to you looking out to number one, it's going to be hard to not put selfish ambition, put it aside, isn't it? It's going to be hard. Um, it, 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 we could just go on and on. Each down the, you know, if, you're, if your natural response is gossip, your natural response is slander, and this has been your life history, People at the work knows you. Oh, she claims to be a Christian. She's a gossip. Okay? And everyone knows it. They say, hey, you want to know what's going on? Ask her. Um, and that's your history. This is not going to go easily. You're not going to learn how to do relationships right away easily. It's going to be hard, you see. And what Paul wants us to understand is that, look, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit's in you. He will lead you. He, will, he knows how to heal your marriage. The Holy Spirit knows how to heal your friendships. He knows how to make you a positive force for good. He knows how to teach you. But you have to be willing to listen, and it's not always going to be easy. Okay? It's going to require some real intentionality on our parts. And so I want you to catch this. It's not the sort of thing. You hear a message, and you go, okay, got it. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you step by step, Every, st every day, step by step, and he's going to teach you if you're willing to listen. Okay, now, one more thing. There in your back of your note sheet is a, is a section that's called the dark side, what to expect. You know, by the, by the way, just to help you understand how hard this is, you know, we started the day with a story, didn't we? The story of these two friends, 15, 20 years, long friendship, gone through so much together, very tight. Some of you will recognize that story. A lot of you won't. You know the story of the guy who wrote Galatians? <laughs> That's his story. Paul's story. It's the story of his 15 or 20 years relationship 
with, with Barnabas, the two guys that started these very churches that we're, we're talking about. And so early on in the relationship, you know, Paul's not a believer, hates Christians. Barnabas is a strong believer. Uh, but, they, but then through a series of events, God brings their lives together. Over the next 15 to 20 years, he weaves their life together in this amazing way. And, 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 they, and he calls them to men and he makes them a ministry team. And they are incredibly effective. Over the next 15, 20 years, they're going to plant churches. They're going to lead hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus. They're going to disciple. They're going to teach people how to, how to grow as Christ's followers. They're going to risk their lives together. They're, they're going to suffer together. They're going to laugh together. And they're going to cry together. And they're going to be incredibly close. And then we're told that right after this letter is written in Galatians, soon after, a year or two after, that, that Paul, Paul goes to Barnabas and he says, hey, let's go back and visit the churches of Galatia that we started. Let's go back and visit. See other, and then we'll go on and we'll take the message of Jesus to new territory further on. And, 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 uh, Mar- and, and Barnabas says, that's awesome. Let me call my cousin. Call your cousin? Yeah, yeah I got it right here. Speed up. Well, it turns out that on that first journey that they took, it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas. They, they took a, a young man by the name of uh, John Mark, and he was, uh, he was Barnabas's cousin, and he would later go on to write the Gospel of Mark. Okay? And so they take him along, but on that first journey while they're out there, Mark gets cold feet. We don't know what happened. We don't know if he's homesick. We don't know if he's afraid of persecution, but he deserts them. He leaves them partway in the mission. And so now it's a couple years later, Paul wants to go on the next mission, and Barnabas says, hey, let's give my cousin a second chance. I think he's learned his lesson. I think he's grown. And Paul says, I don't think so. He really left us high and dry last time. We need to find someone else. We, we, we need to find, get, a, get a new guy. And, and in, in, Luke chapter, in Acts 15, Luke tells us that there was such a sharp disagreement. He doesn't tell us all the details, but the word in Greek is there's a sharp disagreement, and it was so sharp, they could not come to, to, to understanding. And you can get both sides, right? You get Barnabas wanting to give his cousin a second chance. You get Paul like, hey, this is dangerous stuff we're on. We want someone we can count on here. We don't want someone who's going to leave. You get both sides of it, but there's such a sharp disagreement that there's apparently a falling out, and so th- th- they break up this team that's been together for 15 to 20 years, these close friends, and we never see them together again in the rest of the New Testament. We don't know the rest of the story, but, but uh, Barnabas takes, uh, his, uh, takes his cousin, and they go off one way. Paul, Paul uh, picks out another. Silas, they go another way, and we never see them together again. Are, are you with me in this? It's like, how does that happen? Two of the greatest leaders of, of, the, of the New Testament. Can't you just pray about it? Like, can't you just ask God who he wants to go and, and then, like, hear from him? Like, wouldn't that be a better solution? God, is it Mark or not? You know? Just kind of tell us. I mean, wouldn't you think that if you're writing Bible, we could just figure this out? Well, the point is, it's hard to do. And that we all have a dark side, and it will, it's ready to rear its ugly head over the course of our life, right? And if we don't listen to the Spirit, it can lead to some serious relational problems. All right, so, so here we go. This last, so what do we expect? I want to start with what do we expect from ourselves? What do we expect then from others? So there in your note sheet, we got the, the, the eight examples that, that Paul gives uh, of the dark side. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Okay, okay, okay here, here's, what do we expect from ourselves? What we should expect from ourselves is that if you're a Christ follower, there will be times when you experience these emotions and this pull in your life. Okay? That, let me, let me say, if you're a passionate Christ follower sold out to Jesus... There will be times in your life you will experience these emotions 
and this pull towards the dark side. Are you with me? See, sometimes we think that we grow enough, we'll never experience this. Well, well Paul would say, no, this, this has, you have a dark side. And it's going to manifest itself. And it's going to pull you a certain way. And so, and so there's going to be times in your life. And so this should not surprise you. As a Christ, this should not surprise you when this happens. When you have jealousy rises in your life, when you have selfish ambition, when you have anger, when you have a pull towards cliques and dissensions, this should not surprise you. And, and the worst thing you could ever do is to pretend it's not happening. And this is what happens in the body of Christ all the time. Because we, we, we don't, we don't want to be this way, and so when it happens, we pretend it isn't this way. And so what happens, and I've been working with Christ followers a long time, and, and, so, and so I'll talk to someone, and they'll tell me a situation, and it sounds like you might be jealous. Oh, no. No, I'm not jealous. No, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them. It's like... Well, I'm just noticing because the longer you talk, your eyes are getting greener and greener. And I, I don't know about that. You know, you talk to someone, it seems like you're, you're, you're mad. seems like you're angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm telling you, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit irritated, a little bit annoyed. I'm not angry. Well, you know, you might want to tell your face. Because it's about to blow a gasket, you know. I mean, the face is red, the, bul- you know, the, the veins are bulging out, the ears are red. You know, I'm not, right? And this is what we do. And why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because we think if we admit the truth, we're a bad Christian. That's why we do it. We think that God's going to be mad with us. God's not mad at you. He knows how messed up you are. <laughs> this is why Jesus came to die for you, because you're thoroughly screwed up, Right? Like, if you could have solved yourself by yourself, he would have not come. He would have just said, get your act together. We're done, right? The reason he came is because of our fallen nature. You know, the apostle Paul says in Romans 7, he says, in me, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. That's a pretty strong statement. Like, we're thoroughly tainted, right? Okay, and so so the worst thing you can do is pretend you're not experiencing what you are experiencing, when you're experiencing it. Because if you pretend from the darkness where you, you live in denial, and you push that, from the darkness, those emotions will still control you. You'll be just like the Corinthians. You think you're spiritually mature and you're actually immature, you see? And so you can, you can pretend you don't have the anger. You can pretend you don't have the selfishness. You can pretend you don't have the jealousy. But from the darkness, it will control your choices. So the best thing you can do as a Christ follower is learn to embrace what I call radical honesty about what we're thinking and feeling and experiencing. And you take that to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm in this situation. I feel bad about this. I'm feeling jealousy in my heart towards this person. I don't want them to succeed. I want them to fail. And I wish I were them. And I want to, you know, I'm feeling this selfish motivation. I I know I shouldn't be this way. I know I should be serving to make the body of Christ. But I I find my ego rising up. I want to get the recognition. And I'm experiencing this. And so so, so I'm bringing that to you. I feel this anger in my heart, God. And when we come honestly before God with who we are, we say, Jesus, I need to learn how to put to death the dark side. Right? And so in Romans 8, it says, if we learn by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. See? And so we come to the Holy Spirit, we say, here I am, Holy Spirit, will you teach me how to deal with this jealousy I'm feeling? Will you teach me how to deal with this anger I'm feeling? Will you teach me how to, how to deal with this natural pull towards gossip? 
right? And as we come, then he says, yes, and it won't be easy, but he will lead you to freedom, and he will lead you to life. Now, what do we expect from others in our life? Well, what we have to understand is that we all have a dark side. And so we have to let this uh, affect how, what we expect of others in our life. Like, do you understand, like when two people who are incredibly in love get married, you, you know what you have? Yeah, you've got two dysfunctional people who just joined for life. <laughs> right? It's like two porcupines. You're so cute. Let's get together. <laughs> like, how do you do that? It's, it's a mystery of the universe. Like, the, you know, you'd think that race would like, like, whoa, that was used to be, you know, prehistoric por- porcupines, but you know, it didn't work out. Um, when you have a life, some of you are going, oh, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Wait a second. What were we talking about like two weeks ago? Uh, uh, when you have a life group of 16 people, what do you have? Yeah, you got a life group of people that 16 people who have the Holy Spirit come in their life that have dark sides. Like, do you think there's a chance in that 16 group that someone might be immature? Do you, do you think there's a chance in that group that someone might talk too much? <laughs> do you think there's someone in that, in that group that's too opinionated? It's black and white on every little issue. Do you, do you think there's some, some, someone in that group that, that might not do that relationship so very well and they say inappropriate things? Do you think that's possible? And yet when it happens, we're shocked. <laughs> Can you believe that guy? He never shuts up. <laughs> it's like, wow, he's paid by the minute or something. Word by minute, I don't know, you know. Can you believe what she said, or do you believe how they handled it? That's not right, right? And, so, and we're, we're shocked. And it's like, men and women, we have dark sides, right? This is why Paul says in the body of Christ, make every effort to preserve the unity. Make every effort, to, because we're going to have to work on it. And, and there's going to be times when the Holy Spirit says, you're just going to have to forgive that person and let that go. And there's times when the Holy Spirit's going to come and say, you need to move towards that person and get this resolved. You see? And that's what it looks like. See? And, and so, 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 so let's step back and let's look at the big picture. So, so God has called us to freedom. And the Holy Spirit's come into our life to teach us how to, to freedom. And I want you to catch this. One of the most important areas to learn to follow the leading of the Spirit is in the area of our relationships. You stop and think of it. In this list that we're studying of 15 items of the works of the, of the of dark side, have you, have you done the math that eight of them deal with relationships. Eight of the 15 examples deal with relationships. What does that tell you? You see, that, that if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to move in the freedom, that we have got to start listening to the Holy Spirit and let him teach us how to do relationships a whole new way. Because it's there and only there that we will move in the freedom that God has for us in our future. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're teaching us in this powerful passage in Galatians 5 about what it looks like to, to live and to move and to be led by your spirit. And, and God, we're so thankful for this lesson today that, that it's not just about sexual morality, it's not just about idolatry or false spirituality, but it's about our relationships. That learning to follow your spirit in relationships is, is one of the things that just identifies and marks out a Christ follower because there's nothing more important other than loving you that we learn to love one another. So I pray you teach us as a church, teach us as a church how to do this, teach us in our own lives. Give us a heart to listen to your spirit and, and to move into our future together, a future of freedom. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.
We have found our peace. We have found our rest. And he'll lead us home. He'll light the way. And that, that's really the message today, that we have found our peace, haven't we? That, that the one has come to die for us to restore this vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship with him, and he will light our way and he will lead us home if we'll follow that, that leading. I was thinking last night as we sang that song for the first time in the service, a passage came to mind in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul talks about this, this huge rift between Jew and Gentile, this dividing wall of hostility, he calls it, that separated the Jews from, from that. And of course, there's that dividing wall of hostility runs through the human race, doesn't it? Not just Jew and Gentile, but, but, but throughout relationships at every level. And then Paul says this amazing thing, and he, he writes it in Greek, but, but being a, a Hebrew by, by trained, I, I can't but believe that, that this word shalom wasn't going through his mind because he says, he makes this profound statement. It says that he, talking about Jesus, he is our peace who's broken down this wall of hostility and made the two into one in the body of Christ. And so this is why Jesus has come, that Jesus is our shalom. He's our shalom with God. He's our shalom with one another. And as we follow his leadership, we follow the leading of the Spirit, this is his priority in our life, that he would reestablish the shalom throughout the whole universe that it was originally created to have. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? May that, may that be. May, may the shalom of God be over your life as a follower of Jesus. May the shalom of God be over your relationships. May the shalom of God be over this church as we learn to listen to the voice, the promptings, the leading of the Holy Spirit in the realm of relationships. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.